Good morning, everyone. Good morning. And welcome to first years, some returning students, some faculty and staff. Welcome you to this preseason convocation, the first convocation of the year. My name is Suzanne East. I am the core curriculum director here at Goshen College, and I'm also a professor in the education department. I met a lot of you virtually on our pre-launch Zooms over the summer, and it is so delightful to have you here in person today. Before we get into the main content of this hour, I want to say a word about chapels and convocations and the role that they play at Goshen College. So on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 10 a.m., there are no classes scheduled. Sometimes Mondays and Fridays get used for club meetings, department meetings, you might meet with your profs or just have some downtime, but Wednesdays at 10 is a time for the entire campus and we, to gather here together as a community. We are a small campus, we place a high value on community, so this collective time, Wednesday at 10 a.m., is one way that we regularly live out that value. Throughout the week, you're gonna be divided by your year, your classes, your major, your sports team, your res halls. We're all in our separate pockets around campus, but there's something powerful about having a set time each week when all parts of campus come together to hear and engage the same content. Sometimes the programming is a chapel, which has a spiritual focus, our campus pastor might speak. There's often a faculty faith story at some point during the year. So there's some singing, some prayer. And sometimes it's a convocation, which is more information and ideas, topics and issues that we want to address as a whole campus. We might have students or faculty speaking. We sometimes bring in outside speakers. And in January, five of you will be speaking in convocation. You don't know it yet, but every year at the end of ICC, you all sort of tell a personal identity story, and professors nominate five first-year students to tell that story in convocation to the whole campus. And if your heart just went, bloop, I'm not doing that, that's okay. There's never any pressure. No one's ever forced to do it. But it's always a really well-attended convocation and valuable to hear your stories that you're bringing into this space. Across the semester, you're required to attend 10 events. Convocation and Chapel is part of the degree program, part of the graduation requirement, and we have about 15 offered, so you have some choice in what you want to engage. Today, on your way out of this space, if you have your ID card, you can swipe your ID card at the door to get your first of the 10 credits for this semester, so you're starting one ahead of everybody else. We do realize that even though we're a Christian college, not all of our students identify as Christian and not all of them want to engage in Christian worship. And so you are able to meet the requirement by attending convocations and not chapels. However, in college, we do want you to cultivate an attitude of curiosity and openness. So I would encourage you that even if you don't identify as Christian, try a chapel, walk into the space, with an appreciative curiosity and see what's going on. 
There are multiple ways that you can find out what's going on each week, so you can kind of select which chapels and convos do I want to attend for the required 10. Around campus, you'll see these posters, and you can also go to the Chapel Convo website for the full lineup. You've probably heard multiple times this week that you should be checking the campus communicator that comes out every day during the week, and that will always give you a little more information about what's happening in the Chapel and Convo beyond just the title. They're added to your Google calendars as well, so lots of ways that you can figure out what go what's going on. I would strongly encourage all first-year students to come to next week's opening convocation. The president always gives an opening address, and we have this ritual of welcoming our first-year class with an applause tunnel, where all of the upper-class students and faculty make a tunnel and applaud you and welcome you to campus. And then we do that again at graduation, and it's this full-circle ritual. The applause tunnel leads to donuts, and so if you're not local and you don't know what rise and roll donuts are, you should come to Convo next week to find out. They have the nickname Amish Crack. So, <laughs> when you enter the space, our shared expectation is that you put your devices away, you take a breath, settle in, and focus your attention on being here now with one another and receive the content that's brought into this space with an open mind and an open heart and a soft focus on the time and the space. It's a time to just sit, breathe, absorb, and enjoy being with one another. Before I get into the main content for the hour, I want to invite your academic dean, Dr. Ann Venderly, up to the stage for a brief welcome. In our morning sessions, we've been focusing a little bit more on academics. Afternoon has trended towards student life. And so it's important that you know who your dean is, what she does, and uh, the ideas she brings to Goshen College. So Ann? Thank you. It's good to be with you again and to welcome you again. Um, as the academic dean, I have responsibility for the courses, degrees, and programs that you participate in. Um, I work very closely with the faculty to make sure that the content is up to date and that you're getting the most current information in the field and that you're really being prepared for the future. I also make sure that the library, academic success center, information technology, and the registrar are all supporting you and answering your questions. The mission of the dean's office is to foster student learning as well as faculty growth and development. I wanna um, just talk a little bit ahead of Suzanne about Goshen distinctives and liberal arts and share a bit about what I learned as a student here at Goshen College many, many years ago. But when I got here, I was an undecided student trying to figure out what I wanted to be. Um, so I sampled a variety of courses and took my core courses before deciding on physical education as my major. And I did a teaching endorsement in science. And that's what I wanna talk about a little bit. I took a lot of science courses, especially in the beginning. And um, 
I felt pretty comfortable with that scientific method. I'm sure you had to learn it in high school, right? Come up with a hypothesis. What's the data to prove whether it is true or not? Develop measurements, analyze the results, and then say, yeah, the hypothesis I started with was true or not. That's really classic deductive reasoning, and we do a lot of it in school. I felt pretty comfortable with that process and used it to make decisions on lots of things. Because even when you don't have time to set up all the data collection, you still want some evidence before you make a decision, and you want to weigh that evidence. So you start with very general information, and then you get more specific as you get the data. But one semester, while still taking a lot of science courses and using this on a regular basis, I had to take my required Bible class. I attended public school, so I hadn't really studied Bible as an academic subject before. I had Sunday school, which oh, maybe helped some, but that's a lot of memorization, and they give you handouts with little cartoon figures, and you do crafts and get snacks. College Bible classes are not quite like that. But one of the things that really stuck with me is the technique that Dr. Schenk forced us to use in his class. He had us read a passage, sit with it for a little while, and then jump to a conclusion about what it meant. There was no making a hypothesis or gathering data or analyzing words. And it felt really uncomfortable to me to jump right into those conclusions. It's called inductive reasoning, and it's an equally valid way to make decisions and answer problems. In this method, you take a very specific observation, like a bit of text, and then generalize about it to draw bigger conclusions. And so it's a pretty big contrast to that deductive method that I was more comfortable with. But balancing these two different kinds of ideas in different courses was a bit of a struggle, but something that um, I started to get a little bit more familiar with. Both are very important, and as I learned to be more comfortable with inductive reasoning, um, it really led me to thinking about some other things. And I'm really grateful that it was required and that I was pushed into learning this thing that felt really uncomfortable. Because when you appropriately apply both the inductive and the deductive methods, then you're developing critical thinking. That became something that I was really interested in, and critical thinking became one of the things that I studied as I went through higher education and became the focus of my research. Um, I've studied, I'm, I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to kind of learn those two kinds of thinking, pull them together, and build on that for something new. So um, I'm glad that I was able to expand my understanding. It served me very well, and I hope that you will push yourselves into learning some things that maybe feel uncomfortable because they may lead you to other places down the road as you put those together. So thank you for giving me a few minutes. Thank you, Anne. 
So as your core curriculum director, what I want to talk with you about this morning is the question on this slide. What is a liberal arts education? If you Google Goshen College and you go to our Wikipedia page, and yes, Wikipedia is sometimes okay to reference regardless of what your high school English teacher might have said, the very first sentence says, Goshen College is a private liberal arts college in Goshen, Indiana. So two questions for the students here. How many of you feel like you know what it means that Goshen College is a liberal arts college? I'd like to see yes, I don't know, maybe kind of, sort of, or no. Yes, kind of, sort of, or no. Okay, thank you. Question two. When you decided to come here, to what degree, or was at least in part, did you choose to come here because you wanted a liberal arts education? Yes, maybe sort of, if I'm right about what that means, or no, that wasn't a factor that figured into my decision making. Okay. Thank you for that. Regardless of why you chose GC, what I'd like to do in this convocation is give you a better understanding of what a liberal arts college is because it helps you understand the logic behind some of your degree requirements. When you look at your full schedule for your first year, you might see a lot of classes that fall outside of your major, classes that we tell you you have to take or classes that are categories you have to take. And what I want you to know by the end of Convo is that there is a logic to that. There's a valuable history and rationale behind our educational design. And it's important to me that you know that. So the first important thing to say is that liberal in this case is not the same as being politically liberal. We are in a time when those words liberal and conservative are so divisive and being used so divisively. The word liberal comes from the Latin meaning pertaining to free people. And the tradition of a liberal education, an education toward freedom, has strong roots in ancient Greece. So centuries before Christ, the Greeks started experimenting with this radical system of government called democracy, or rule by the people. But they also realized, if we're going to entrust people with governance and active citizenship, we have to prepare them for that. So rather than just narrow job training, Education was aimed at citizenship training, and in that tradition, you are being broadly educated so that, yes, you will be equipped for a profession, I promise you that, but you'll also be prepared to engage civically as a thoughtful, informed participant in your communities, and that is one of our goals. Many of the oldest U.S. colleges, those prestigious East Coast colleges like Harvard and Princeton and Yale, they were also founded on that idea that the ideals of this U.S. democratic experiment need to be strengthened through education. In the earliest U.S. colleges, all students were expected to study the sciences, the arts, religion, law, no matter what their intended profession. Now, an important footnote here is that in these periods of history, education for everyone meant a certain class of white men. So we've clearly evolved toward a much more inclusive vision of education and democracy.
the first point I want you to take away is this. As you look at your schedule, you might see a course like Engaging the Bible with Paul Keim, who's pictured here in the lower left-hand corner. You are likely taking wellness this semester or next. Maybe some of you are taking a science course called Pollinators in Peril with Andy Ammons, who is pictured here in his beekeeping suit right there in the lower center. And you might think, okay, but I came to major in nursing or business or music, and yeah, you did, and you will. You have amazing professors here who will help you dive deeply into your major. But Goshen College is implementing this long tradition of higher education as being more than job training. It's training to be a thoughtful, informed, active participant in your town, in your state, in your country, in the communities where you dwell and make your home. Relatedly, let's think about what arts means in this context. We're not talking narrowly just about visual art. Rather, it refers to craft, technique, methods. So in the Goshen Corps, you will take a science course, a natural world course, and you will learn the art, the technique, the craft of scientific inquiry. In your Bible class, as Anne alluded to, you probably won't be making crafts like you did in Sunday school, but you'll be learning the methods that scholars use to make meaning of religious text. And that is the second important thing I want you to know. A liberal arts education is not just about learning facts. It's about expanding your capacity to think critically, to use the mental processes of different fields to address some of the most pressing issues of our day. What are the issues you care about? What are the issues you want to think about and engage? What are the issues you want to be a thought leader on? Start to find your why and let that be your animating purpose as you move through your courses. The class that you're starting this week, for example, ICC, you are not going to memorize a lot of facts and take a multiple choice test at the end. The kind of learning you do in ICC has to do with exploring big ideas about how our cultures shape us, expanding your capacity to have respectful disagreements with the people sitting around you who come from very different backgrounds and mindsets. It's the kind of learning that's harder to see initially, but it has long-term staying power. A recent president of Harvard said that a liberal arts education will get you ready for your sixth job, not just your first. So think about that. What are the kinds of things you need to do here at Goshen College to prepare for the fact that in the 21st century, people are job changers? The group of Americans getting ready to retire has held on average 12 different jobs. So what do you have to do to prepare for the fact that even if you think you know that straight line of your life, it probably won't go that way? And this word cloud has some hints as to what it is that can prepare us for the flexibility of the modern work world. I used to teach high school English, and in my job, I taught the art, the craft, the methods of literary interpretation. 
We read poetry and fiction together and we discussed it. And I would occasionally get that student who wondered out loud, when am I ever gonna use this? I'm sure that you never wondered that in your high school English classes. And it took me a few years to realize that the best answer was probably just a really blunt, well, you're probably not. At least not in the way you mean. You are right. You're going to graduate from high school. You've been accepted to your first choice of business school. You want to be an accountant. And you are probably not going to start reciting Walt Whitman when you're sitting down with people to help them do their taxes. Although, I mean, that would be kind of cool if you did. But if you learn how to read poetry well, you start to realize that every word you utter matters and has weight. When you read fiction deeply and attentively, it builds your capacity for empathy. And even if these are not obvious job skills, these are traits that will make you a better colleague, a better person to work alongside. And that brings me to the third point that I want to make about a liberal arts education. Part of why we want to bring you to campus as safely as possible during a pandemic is that the education you receive in your years here does not just come from your classes. The whole campus environment is set to be this rich bastion of learning. One educational historian said it this way, Book learning alone might be got by lectures and reading, but it is only by studying and disputing, eating and drinking, playing and praying as members of the same collegiate community that the priceless gift of character could be imparted. At Goshen College, I know we do have a lot more commuter students than we used to, but even if you are living off campus, engage yourself in the whole campus community and treat that as a part of your education, a part of what your tuition is paying for. If you just wanted classes, if you just wanted a piece of paper saying you passed and got a degree, you could get that online. What you get here is a living learning environment. And the classes are a very important part of that. But so are conversations with your professors outside of class, with your peers over lunch, the clubs you join, your athletic team, sitting with people at lunch and engaging. All of that is an important part of your Goshen College education. So please dive in. Now, there's a chance that some of you don't buy all these lofty ideals of citizenship and holistic education. So, at the very least, I hope you can all appreciate that a liberal arts education will make you better at trivia. So, we are going to play a little core curriculum trivia as a way of engaging and sampling some of the things you might study in the core. So, I know that I told you to put cell phones away as etiquette, but now I want you to get them out. I asked five professors to submit a trivia question from a course they teach or a program they oversee in the core. So if you take out your cell phones, I want you to connect to the app Poll Everywhere. And you do that by opening up a text message and sending it to 37607. And in the body of the text message, put in that code. It's my first name and last name, 706. So 237607, and then the body of the text message says 
S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-E-H-S-T, double N, double E, 706. And I'm going to move to the next slide, but it is still there. So to test and see if you are connected, either send A or B. Are you able to access poll everywhere? A, yes, B, uh, I'm not sure, maybe if it shows up. And up there at the top is, again, the 37607 and what you text, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-E-H-S-T. And if you're in and someone around you is still struggling, give them a hand. Two, three, seven, six, oh, seven, and then text that code. And you should get a little response back saying, you have joined Suzanne East's poll. And once we see about 100 people in, then we'll go ahead to the first core curriculum trivia question. There are no prizes, but we will ask you to stand if you get all these questions right. And once you're in, you shouldn't have to re-enter for every question. You can just type and send your response. If you want to change your response, type and send clear, and it'll go away. All right, at the top of each slide, you'll still see the option to join. So even if you're not in yet, keep trying. We're going to move to our first core curriculum trivia question, and it comes from Dr. Paul Keim, who teaches the class Religion and Sports, which you could take to meet your religious world requirement. So he asked, which of the following was included in the earliest Olympic Games? Apologetics? Swimming, pancreation, or a form of soccer? Which was included in the earliest Olympic Games? Timely question as we just wrapped up the Olympics and are moving into the Paralympics. Okay, raise your hand if you put C, that thing called pancreation. Who put C? All right, y'all are right. This, this was a form of extreme fighting in the earliest Olympic Games that had very few rules other than like you couldn't gouge out your opponent's eyes. Now, I don't know what that sport has to do with religion, but I am sure if you took this course with Paul, you would find out. So our history professor, Dr. Philip Gullner, teaches the class American Culture Wars, which you could take to meet your social world requirement, and he gave me this question. Which of these Republican presidential candidates had the most support of Hispanic voters according to exit polls? Was it George H.W. Bush in 92, 
Mitt Romney in 2012 or Donald Trump in 2016? All right, raise your hand if you put C, Donald Trump. That's the correct answer. And maybe challenges some of our notions about demographics of who votes for whom. So that's American Culture Wars with Philip Gullner that looks both historically and the present at some of the really strident issues that we've engaged nationally. So at Goshen College, you take a course in the area of peacemaking, and that's one of our GC distinctives. Rob Brenneman teaches several classes in this part of the core, and some of you might have gone to his session yesterday. If you went to his session, you may know the answer to this question. Of these five countries with the highest incarceration rates, people in prison per 100,000 inhabitants, which one do you think imprisons the highest percentage of its inhabitants? And if you want to change your answer, you can always type in clear and it'll go away and you can re-answer. Okay, answer time. Would you please raise your hand if you answered E, the United States? You are correct. Yes. Here's question four of five. Jessica Baldanzi is one of our English professors, and her area of expertise is comics and graphic novel. She teaches a course called Comics and Graphic Novel that you could take to meet your artistic world requirement. And she asked, which of the following was the first graphic novel to win the Pulitzer Prize for literature? So we have Mouse by Art Spiegelman, American-born Chinese, Ms. Marvel, which is one of Jessica's primary areas of scholarship, or Pet Cemetery by Stephen King, which is not a graphic novel. <laughs> it is graphic, but it's not a graphic novel. All right. Raise your hand if you put C, Ms. Marvel. You're wrong. <laughs> Raise your hand if you put A, Mouse by Art Spiegelman. That's the right answer, yeah. The author interviews his father who's a Holocaust survivor and the characters are depicted as cats and mice. It's a really profound, interesting read. And for our final question, 
we have a really robust global education curriculum, and you could meet the global education requirement by going to Senegal. Um, ICC professor Kendra Yoder and her spouse David Lind are leading Senegal this summer, and then in two years at the end of your junior year, you could opt to go to Senegal. And the question is, if you go to Senegal to meet your global education requirement, which language will you study in preparation? Okay, raise your hand if you put French. You are correct. It is French that you will take a semester of and then continue to work on in country. Okay, if you feel comfortable, if you got all five correct and you feel comfortable, would you stand and let us applaud you for your core curriculum acumen? Anybody, anybody, come on. Thank you for playing trivia, and I have just one final word that I want to give you to wrap up here before we have a little break before your 11 o'clock session. So through these questions, I hope that you've seen some of the college's core values coming through as well. A lot of our curriculum in the core aligns with what's taught in liberal arts colleges across the country. But because of our core values, which include compassionate peacemaking, global citizenship, we ask that you take courses in those fields. In peace, justice, and conflict studies, we want you to build your global understanding by living and learning alongside people from different cultures other than your own. We do believe that education is not simply to prepare you to participate in the world as it is. Your education is in part to make you a courageous, compassionate leader toward a more just, sustainable, and equitable world. And I wanna end with this quotation from the biologist E.O. Wilson that sums up why we at GC believe a liberal arts education is valuable and necessary. If you're in biology or sustainability studies, you'll probably encounter a lot of Wilson's writing. He said, we are drowning in information while starving for wisdom. The world henceforth will be run by synthesizers people able to put together the right information at the right time, think critically about it, and make important choices wisely. I know for many of you it's just your first year. We haven't even started classes yet. But may this be you. Thank you. You have time for a little break. Make sure that you exit a door where somebody has a card swiper. You swipe your ID for credit. You're back here at 11.
back here at 11.